there. Beginning in verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Together, verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called her name. Amen. The title of the message this morning is this, the, the Christian character of the carpenter. Joseph, who was a spouse to Mary, he was a carpenter by trade. And we're going to talk about Christ a little bit in the introduction, and then we're going to turn our focus to uh, Christ's or Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, as we look at your word this morning and gather some valuable truths from it, may we be challenged to go and live more like you. May we be challenged by the life of Joseph to live a life that is uh, one of Christian maturity, one of Christian integrity. Lord, for those here this morning that may not know you as their Savior, who have not yet put their full faith in the cross of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ, may they today come to realization that salvation is not through some set of works, it's not through even a church denomination, but rather it is through full faith and trust in what you did for us so many years ago on that perfect tree. Lord, help us to understand that truth. And then, Lord, those here today that have not yet become a child of the kingdom of heaven, may today, this Christmas season, be the day they do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. There are many different approaches that people take when it comes to Christmas. Uh, You may have heard the three stages of man. The first stage of man is that you believe in Santa Claus. The second stage is that you are Santa Claus. And the third stage is that you look like Santa Claus. (laughs) Children see Christmas as an opportunity to get more toys. Teenagers see it as an opportunity to get new technology or new clothes. By the way, have you seen the clothes teenagers are wearing these days? If any teenagers want a pair of jeans with holes in them, I have some at my house... I'd be happy to just give you. You don't have to spend $80 on those jeans. School-age children and teachers see the Christmas holiday as an opportunity to get out of school. Um, And that was a teacher. The, the, The students don't like the teachers. The teachers really don't like the students. Trust me. They look for Christmas break. Um, stores see Christmas as an opportunity to make money. Americans see Christmas as an opportunity to rack up more debt. Um, Interior decorators, how many of you ladies are 
interior decorators here. I would ask how many men, but I don't want you to embarrass yourselves. Interior decorators see Christmas as a chance to decorate again. Atheists see Christmas as an opportunity to mock Christianity and deepen the secularization of our culture. But Christians, Christians see Christmas for what it really is. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we see it as an opportunity to celebrate the birth of our King. Some 2,000 years ago, God left heaven and entered the womb of a virgin named Mary. John chapter 1 tells us that he wrapped himself in flesh. Boy, I don't know why God would choose to leave the portals of heaven where his name was praised, where there was no sin and righteousness is everywhere. I don't know why God would choose to leave a clean and healthy and perfect and sinless and a, a, a heaven, a place where there's no sickness and sorrow or hospitals or cancer, a place where there's no funerals and no death. But Jesus Christ left perfection, entered the womb of Mary, and was born among us, God wrapped in flesh, God robed in flesh. He would live for 33 years. And there, Jesus was born for one reason. He was not born to give us a day to give gifts to each other. You all listening this morning? He was not born so that we would have an excuse to spend more money or take a break from school or decorate our home with, uh, with lights and, and, uh, and, and put presents under a tree Jesus was not born just so that uh, stores, box stores could get out of debt for a month and a half. Jesus was born so that he could die. Now, I've asked many people this question, and I'll ask all of you this question right now. And I'd like each of you where you sit, especially if you're visiting this morning, and this is the first time you've heard me preach, or maybe just you've only heard me preach a handful of times, I'd like to ask you a question. What does it take for you to get to heaven? What must a person do to enter into heaven's gate? Boy, I've asked that question to a lot of people in my life. When I was young, I asked myself that question, and I didn't really know the answer. You know, I get all sorts of answers back when I ask that question, but probably the, the popular answer, the, the answer that's given at a high percentage, is this. I must be a good person to get into heaven. Let me ask this question this morning. How many of you at some point in your life, and that point might be right now, but at some point in your life you have thought that it took you being a good person, at least in part, for you to get to heaven? Would you hold up your hand if you either have thought that at some point or you think that right now? Hold them up. Don't be ashamed. Hold them up. Hold them up. Okay. Now, here's the thing. That's a, see, I'd say two-thirds of the church raised their hand. Um, that's the popular answer. How many of you have learned that being popular is not always being right? What's popular isn't always right. You see, there's my opinion, and there's what I'm told, but there's what God says. I hope you're following this morning. I'm not going to give the gospel in my message, so I want to make sure I get it right here, get it out here in the introduction. 
you must understand something very clear. You are a sinner. Now, I know the word sinner is not politically correct. But what is politically correct and what is true, if they oppose each other, that I'm just going to stick with what's true. A sin is anything I think, say, or do that breaks the law of God. And I am guilty of sin. I stand up here today with a suit on, and I've done my best uh, to take what I have been given and present it the best I can. And I stand up here with my, my, my five hairs combed in place. I stand up here with my Bible open in front of me. But I'm going to tell you that the best I can present to you this morning, inside of me, I'm still a sinner. I'm still guilty of breaking the laws of God. And I haven't just done it once. I've done it thousands of times in my life. And I could stand up here this morning and proclaim my own good. But behind all of that good are still a laundry list of sins that I am embarrassed about. And if you're honest with yourself, you're embarrassed about your own sin. One day you're going to stand in front of a judge who is perfect and holy. And he's not going to take you to task on the good of your life. He's going to take you to task on the sin of your life. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that the books of our lives, one at a time, are going to be brought out. What are in the books of our lives? Every sin we've ever committed. I don't know about you, but if God were to bring out all of the books that contain the sins I've committed, he would need the Library of Congress probably to hold all of those books. He would need some small town library. The evidence is going to be not only overwhelming, but it's going to be damning. And my goodness will fade in light of my sin, just like yours will. And if somehow you think that your goodness is going to settle with a perfect judge who's never committed a single sin, my friend, you're sadly mistaken. You say, well, what must I do to get into heaven? I'm glad you asked. There's nothing you can do to get into heaven on your own. You see, because of our sin, we're hopelessly lost and we need a Savior. That's why Jesus came to earth. You see, Christmas isn't about the gifts we give each other. Christmas is the greatest gift that the God of heaven could have given humanity. It is the greatest gift he could have ever given you. You see, Jesus was born for the sins of the world, yes, but he was born for your sin. Jesus would grow up to be a man, and at the age of 33, he never committed a single sin because he was God born from a virgin's womb. And at 33 years old, he was nailed to a cross. And while he hung on that cross, please listen to me this morning. While he hung on that cross, the most miraculous thing took place. God looked ahead in time and he saw your life. He saw your birth date. He saw your death date. And God, in a sense, if I could use an analogy here, he swept into a dustpan every sin that you will ever commit in your life. And he took that dustpan of your sin and he dumped it on his son on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 tells us that God made Jesus our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. When I was a little boy, I used to trade baseball cards. And I would try to find some little kid who didn't know his cards very well, and I would try to give him some bench player for a Michael Jordan card or um, uh, some 
uh, uh, famous, maybe a Barry Bonds card or, or of the sort. And if I could get him to take my worthless card for his valuable card, then I had won out. The difference here is that God knows your sin. He's not duped. And God looks at you and says, give me your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. Boy, what a trade. Now, here's a couple of disclaimers for salvation. Number one, if you try to come to God with your own righteousness, the deal's off. If you try to come to God with your, your, your church background, the deal is off. It does not matter if you have been a Baptist your whole life. God is not going to check your denominational card at the gate of heaven to let you in. That goes for Baptist, that goes for Methodist, but that also goes for Catholic. Being Catholic has gotten no one into heaven. We okay so far? Being Baptist gets no one into heaven either. You say, well, how do I get into heaven? You must understand that that baby born in that manger was born for one reason, and that was to die in your place. You see, God had condemned you to hell because of your sin. And He wanted to let you out of hell, so He sent His only begotten Son to the cross to suffer so that you could get out of hell. And He asks for one thing from you to get into heaven. You know what that is? He asks for your faith. He wants you to trust that Jesus hung on the cross for you. There's a story about a man who strung a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. I believe this was back in the 1800s. He was a tightrope walker, maybe the best one to ever do it. A big crowd gathered to watch him walk from the U.S. side to the Canadian side and back. He got one of those big poles that they carry, and he walked across the Niagara Falls to the, uh, an, uh, a raucous applause on the other side. He then set down the pole and he got a wheelbarrow. And he pushed the wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls. He got a huge applause for that. Then he took a dummy that weighed the weight of a man and he put that dummy in that wheelbarrow and he pushed the wheelbarrow across with a figure of a man inside of it. Again, the crowd went wild. When he got there, he set the wheelbarrow down and he said to the folks there, he said, how many of you believe that I could push a live male human man in this wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls? Boy, hands shot up everywhere. He pointed to a man in the front row and he said, you, sir, get in the wheelbarrow. The man put his hand down and began to back up. You see, he believed, but he didn't believe. Many people believe in Jesus, but they're not trusting Jesus to push them over the pit of hell and into heaven because they're too busy trusting in their sense of good works or some sort of church background. Listen, you don't ever even have to step foot in a church building to go to heaven. But you do need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to go to heaven. Here's my challenge to you this morning, and we'll get into the outline, the message. If there has not been a single point 
in the timeline of your life where you have humbled your heart and called on the name of the Lord through prayer and asked Him to take your sins away and put your full faith and trust in Him alone to take you to heaven, then, my friend, the Bible says that you haven't believed and you're condemned already. You need to believe in Jesus. Listen, there's all sorts of ways people in the Bible did that. There isn't some magical prayer. In Luke, a man stood in the temple knowing he was a sinner and he beat his chest. And he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says he left there forgiven. There was a man who died next to Jesus on the cross and he prayed a prayer a little bit different. He said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus turned to him and said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. They both prayed the prayer a little bit different. But the one thing they both had in common is they both believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And until you've done that, Christmas is nothing more than just a shallow day where you exchange gifts. Boy, that's not what Christmas is to me. Christmas is the day that I recognize the birth of my Savior, where He came to earth and dwelt among us. I'd like for us to turn our attention to one of the characters in the story this morning. You know, there are so many characters in the Christmas story. There's Anna, and I think his name is Simeon in the temple. There is um, John the Baptist and, and his father and mother as they were related to Mary. There's, uh, there's Mary, obviously. There's Joseph. There's Jesus. And there's the three wise men. There's the angels. There's the shepherds. And you, you, at some point you, you go, wow, all of these characters, it's so overwhelming. And we know about all of them on some shallow level. But have we ever stopped to consider uh, uh, the characters individually and who they are and what they meant to the Christmas story. You see, God in heaven, He looked down. You listening this morning? He looked down and He had to find a young couple that He could give His Son to, to take care of. Jesus was 100% man while he remained 100% God. But God needed to find a woman he could put baby Jesus inside her womb. And then he needed to find a husband and wife that could, that could raise him and could, yes, change his diapers and help him through the crawling stage and the walking stages and, 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 the, and learning how to speak stages and make sure that he had a roof over his head and food in his mouth so that he could make it to adulthood so that he could go on and fulfill the purpose for which he came. And God looked down and he looked through all of the couples and he found the most qualified couple in the person of Joseph and Mary. Now, I want to be really, really clear about something. Joseph had no part in having Jesus come to planet earth. We together on this? Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. But Joseph played the role of being the father figure in, in Jesus' life. What a special man Joseph was. And the Bible takes a few verses in Matthew and in Luke to talk about this carpenter who was, in the grand scheme of society, a nobody. If I could describe Joseph in just a couple of words, I would describe him this way. Christian maturity. Christian Maturity. And I'm going to show you that this morning. Let's jump in this morning and look at four thoughts 
as we consider this topic, the character of the Christian carpenter. Number one of the message this morning, on the back of your uh, bulletin there, there's a place for you to fill in the blank and take notes. I would encourage you to do that. Notice, number one, his purity with Mary. His purity with Mary. Look, look with me at Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse number 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, look at those next four words, before they came together. That's speaking of a physical coming together between a man and a woman. That's speaking of marital intimacy. So, uh, before they came together, she, Mary, was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, husband being a just man and not willing to make a public example was minded to put her way privily or privately. Look down at verse number 24. Look here. And Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Look at here. And knew her not, was not intimate with her, was not in any way sexual with her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So I did some research this week on the betrothal process in the Hebrew culture back then. It was quite a bit different than the way that we do it today. In essence, there was a legal contract contract signed when a uh, man and woman agreed to marry each other and they were viewed as married the moment that contract signed was signed however the woman lived continued to live in her father's house uh, separated from uh, the, her her husband uh, uh, contractual husband and for 12 months they they were able to see each other but they were not able to be intimate with each other and then after 12 months the man would take a dowry and he would travel to the home where she was and he would pay the dowry and he would take his bride and then they would not only be legally married but they would be physically married we see here that joseph and mary did not come together sexually until after jesus was born god chose mary for many reasons to be the mother of baby jesus but one of the reasons was because she had kept herself a virgin when Mary gets praised, while Mary gets praised quite often for being a virgin, let's not forget the part that Joseph played in this as well. Joseph was pure toward Mary. He was pure toward Mary. Why? Because Joseph had cared more, uh, uh, because Joseph cared more about handling Mary with great respect and care than he did satisfying his fleshly impulses. I don't want to stay on this real long this morning, but I, I do want to take a moment and just say this. We live in a day and age where being contaminated sexually is considered celebrated in the norm and being pure to the wedding altar is belittled and made fun of. To those of you who are not married uh, this morning, can I encourage you to make sure that you celebrate purity? Celebrate purity. I believe those in here that would say amen the loudest are maybe some of those. And, and again, if someone said amen loud, loud around you, I don't know who that was. I'm not picking on anyone, okay? Let me say it up front. But oftentimes those who weren't pure prior to marriage look back and see they wish they had done it the right way. And, and they are the loudest cheerleaders for those who are not married to be pure. Hey, to you dads in the room this morning, can I encourage you to do something if you have a daughter? Take her out when she hits 13, 14, 15. 15 years old, take her to a nice formal dinner and put a purity ring on her wedding finger. 
talked to her about the importance of waiting till the wedding altar and talked to her about the importance of sexual purity. Those of you that have sons, talk to them about uh, uh, the heartache and heartbreak they'll save themselves if they'll just do it the way that God intended. Why was Joseph pure toward Mary? He was pure toward Mary because he valued Mary. He valued her feelings and sensitivities. He valued her opinions and convictions. He valued her priorities. He valued desires, her desires. He valued her heart. Purity is a powerful thing. We live in a world where perverseness is praised and purity is mocked. After a violent storm one night, a large tree, uh, which over the years had become a stately giant, was found lying across the pathway in a park. Nothing but a splintered stump was left. Closer examination showed that it was rotten at the core because thousands of tiny insects had eaten away at its heart. The weakness of that tree was not brought on by the sudden storm. It began the very moment the first insect nested within its bark. With the Holy Spirit's help, let us be very careful to guard our purity. I hear oftentimes preachers say, you need to be pure to the wedding altar. Be pure to the wedding altar. Be pure to the wedding altar. I know what they mean. I understand what they mean. But can I say this? Be pure through the wedding altar. It's great to be pure up to that wedding day. But can I tell you, the day you get married, purity continues to remain a commitment. Many of you in this room are married today. Can I tell you that you have a commitment to your wife or to your husband to remain sexually Pure to the spouse that God has given you. Boy, what kind of example would have Joseph been if after he had been married with Mary and raising Jesus, that Joseph, what if Joseph would have just been a womanizer and running around behind Mary's back? I, I, Jesus would have turned out the same, I believe, because he was God. But that wouldn't have been a very good example. Boy, God calls us to purity. The Christian character of the carpenter, his purity with Mary. Again, we are focusing on Joseph because of his spiritual maturity. Can I say this this morning? Are you listening? A follower of God walks in God's love, not in human lust. Love says you first. Lust says me first. Love says, hey, let's do what's right. Lust says, let's do what's convenient. Love purifies the one who's loved. Lust perverts and tears down the one who's lusted after. Why, why did God choose to do something great with Joseph? Well, in part because Joseph chose to maintain a pure mind, a pure heart, and a pure body. Number one, his purity with Mary. Number two, his patience with Mary. His patience with Mary. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18 this morning. Tell him I said, hey. (laughs) The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse of Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, look here, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away Privily or privately, but while he thought on these things. 
Joseph was patient with Mary. Uh, Someone said, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, found seldom in a woman and never in a man. Relationship patience is oftentimes the most advanced form of patience. You know, if I know that I have something big coming to me uh, uh, down the line, uh, I can be very patient with that. I can wait, and I can wait, and I can wait. And, and even if the date is not set and just sort, sort of looming out there, but it's something that's out of my control, boy, I can be patient with that. But when it comes to relational patience, uh, waiting for someone to develop and come along, waiting, uh, putting up with someone else's transgressions or errors or offenses my way, sometimes I can get uh, frustrated and fickled. Sometimes I can get put out with people and say, my patience is up. Am I alone? this morning? You ever feel that way? Boy, how do you think Joseph felt? Now, I wonder how many Hebrew girls got pregnant out of wedlock before Mary and tried this one. You know, the Bible says that the Messiah is going to be born through a virgin womb. I am expecting the Messiah. I wonder how many girls had tried that one before. Can you understand how unrealistic that must have sounded to Joseph? When Mary came to him, Joseph's thinking, I'm a just man. I have maintained my purity and we're in this betrothal stage. And Mary, we only had a few months to go and you're going to come to me and you're going to tell me that an angel visited you in the kitchen and told you that you're pregnant? Yeah, right. I'm not buying it. He thought on what to do. He thought on what to do. Clearly, Joseph is not buying Mary's story. He's gone to a place and he has set himself in a private, quiet place where he can meditate and think about how he can end the betrothal. In the Hebrew world, it's called getting a get, a get, G-E-T, get. And it is a, even though they were just betrothed, they were considered legally married, it was divorce papers. And he's trying to do it in a way that's private so that he does not embarrass Mary. He does not embarrass Mary. He was patient with her. He didn't take her and take, take her by the ear and drag her into the synagogue and said, This harlot got pregnant! Oh no, that wasn't his attitude. I, you embarrass my reputation? You embarrass me? I'm going to embarrass you. Oh no, he, he showed patience with Mary. He didn't believe her, but he didn't take her to the edge of town and demand that she be stoned as the law demanded she could have been. The Bible describes him as a just man. He didn't want to make her a public example. He desired to end the betrothal privately. He took time to ponder and didn't rush to an emotional decision. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Please listen up here. When someone does you wrong, when someone mistreats you, Do you handle it patiently or do you handle it dramatically? You see, listen, mature Christians take mountains and they turn them into molehills. Immature Christians take molehills and they turn them into mountains. I promise you this, you're going to get offended by somebody at some point at White Oak Baptist Church if you hang around here long enough. Are you going to take the mountain offense and turn it into a molehill? Or are you going to take a molehill offense and turn it into a mountain? 
I don't know what anyone in this church per se has done to you necessarily. I don't know what's got you all worked up. Maybe even it's at home or at work. But I doubt it's as bad as finding out that the woman you've been keeping yourself for has gone off and gotten herself pregnant. And what did Joseph do? Joseph said, I'm going to handle her with grace. I'm going to handle her with patience. I'm going to handle this matter privately. I'm going to show her that while this needs to end, I love her. His patience with Mary. Are you patient with other people? We look at Joseph and we see a man who's just a common carpenter. No one would have known who he was if he and Mary had not been chosen to give... Uh, uh, to, to, to raise the Christ child. But while he was a, a simple no one in the grand scheme of things, we see here that he was a man that cared for others around him with great patience. His purity with Mary, his patience with Mary, number three, notice his personal walk with God. His personal walk with God. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 20. It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Here, Joseph is, is meditating. He's praying. He's conversing with the Lord about what to do with his pregnant fiance, his uh, uh, pregnant espoused betrothed wife, and he is put into a dream, and the Lord comes, an angel of the Lord comes to him in that dream and says, Joseph, I know that you want to put her away, but instead what I want you to do is go and marry her. She is telling you that she is with child and that uh, she is still a virgin, and I'm here to tell you she is telling you the truth. Now, uh, i got to tell you that if Joseph was a secular man who did not have a relationship with God, a dream like that from the Lord, probably he would have woke up from it and said, boy, I shouldn't have had that bowl of ice cream before I went to bed last night. That's not what he said. He, he knew the Lord because he had been walking with the Lord. He was a just man because he had a relationship with God. Christian, do you have a relationship with the Lord? You see, a few minutes ago when we talked through the introduction... We talked about how that your good works and your religion, religious background will do nothing to get you into heaven. Can I tell you a big problem with religion? And by the way, religion is falling apart in 2019. People are running from church faster than they ever have. Look around today. This room is very full. This is not the normal. This is not the normal. Even on a Christmas Sunday. Can I tell you why? Religious institutions are closing their door in record number because for centuries we have lifted up religion instead of relationship. God does not want you to have religion. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to talk with Him. He wants you to know 
His instruction for you, and He wants to commune with you one on one. One other great distinction that is necessary is that at White Oak Baptist Church, I am not the priest. I am the pastor. I don't have a, there are no confessional booths at White Oak Baptist Church because we believe that Jesus is your priest. You can go directly to heaven's throne room and you can talk directly with God on your own. You can confess your sin to Him. You can be forgiven by Him. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A seasoned missionary was once asked to explain what it meant to walk with God. Tears began to stream down this missionary's cheeks. He was an older man and had been serving the Lord and walking with the Lord for decades. After a moment, he brushed away the tears, and this is what he said. He said, when I walk with God, I think of a dog owner taking his pet out for a walk. I go where he wants me to go. He dictates the speed of the walk. He dictates the amount of time we are out. He dictates when we stop and for how long we stop. He is in in total control of this walk. Furthermore, when we get back to home base and he decides that he wants to go back out again, then I'm ready to go at a moment's notice. Boy, I have spent years waking up, getting a cup of coffee, opening my Bible, reading three chapters, saying a ten-minute prayer, setting my Bible down, and off I go. The next morning, open my Bible, read three chapters, ten-minute prayer, set my Bible down, off I go. Read my Bible, pray, set it down, off I go. And we schedule our walk with God instead of saying, God, my uh, life is yours. I get that there are schedules to keep. I get you have to be at work on time. I get that uh, uh, there, there are other things going on in your life, but is there a point in your life where you see, God, I'm throwing the calendar out the window. I'm throwing the clock out the window. Lord, it's me. It's you. I'll read what you want me to read. I'll stop and study what you want me to study. I'll pray as long as you want me to pray because, Lord, I'm not put on this earth to, re- uh, to, to have you revolve around me. I'm put on this earth to revolve around you. I want to walk with God. I think of Enoch in the Old Testament who walked with God and was not. God looked down at Enoch and said, Listen, you have gone on a long walk. You're a long ways from home. And the truth is you're closer to me than you are to your own home. Why don't you just come on up here and be with me? I think of Moses in the Old Testament who went into the mount and God said, I want to show myself to you. And he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and he covered it with his hand and he passed by. And and Moses got to see the hinder parts of God. And the Bible says that when he came down back out of the mount, he had to wear a veil over his face because his face shone with the brightness of God's presence to the place where it blinded other people. I think of Stephen, one of the first deacons who stood up and preached to the crowd that hated the Lord Jesus Christ and they said his face shone as though he had been in the presence of God. Boy, my face may never change like that, but I may never be translated to heaven the way Enoch was, but boy, I sure want heaven to just be, when I enter heaven, to just be a little bit more of what I've already experienced here on earth.
Joseph walked with God. Can I ask you a question this morning, Christian? Do you walk with God? When was the last time you climbed out of bed and opened your Bible and read it? When was the last time that you read until tears began to run down your cheeks and your heart moved? When was the last time that you prayed yourself to sleep at night or you, you, you prayed until the clock dictated that you stopped and you continued to pray under your breath while you went and did your activities? My friend, Joseph was chosen to be the earthly father of Jesus for many reasons, but in part because God was his best friend. I don't want you to miss what I'm about to say here. God has a special task for you. But He may not give it to you if you're not walking with Him. Boy, don't miss out on that opportunity. There were all sorts of other Hebrew men with wives that were, uh, lineage, as far as the lineage goes, they were qualified to be the mother and father of baby Jesus when it came to their lineage, but their hearts were not pure toward the Lord. Well, let's not miss out on those opportunities. Number four, and lastly, notice his perseverance to obey God. Can I tell you something that the Christian life requires a lot of perseverance? It just says, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to do what's right, even when it isn't convenient to do it. I'm going to tell you, doing right isn't always convenient. Some of you had a hard time getting to church this morning. You had to fight the old flesh to get out of bed. You had to push away other distractions that came up. Uh, uh, How many of you here have found that having a personal walk with God takes a whole lot of discipline? You know what I mean? I can tell you something. Uh, When I sit down to read my Bible, uh, all of those tasks that I really don't want to do, I all of a sudden feel a, a need and an urgency to do them. You know what I mean? I mean, I've got a pile of clothes that, you know, Angela's asked me to fold to help her when she's busy. That actually never happens, but just for example. And I don't like folding clothes, but all of a sudden, I want to fold clothes. In fact, Angela, do you have clothes for me to fold? That letter I've been needing to write, that phone call I've been needing to make, that text message I've been needing to reply to or or send out to someone, it wasn't important until I sat down to read my Bible. And all of a sudden, it jumped up the priority list. Walking with God, being a man of God, a woman of God, takes perseverance. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here, then I'll close up the message. Letter A, notice his relationships. His relationships. Go back to Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. I wonder how many men would have woken up from this dream where the Lord says, Hey, she's pregnant with the Holy Ghost, a child of the Holy Ghost. She's still a virgin, and she's bearing the Christ child. And now you get to be the father of God on earth. Go marry that woman. How many men would have woke up and said, Hey, I, you know, I'm out. Not me. I, I, I didn't sign up for all this when I started dating her. I just thought she was cute, and I just thought she was a Christian. I didn't want to be the father of God. But he said, you know what, if this is what the Lord wants me to do, I'm going to persevere, and I'm going to stick this out with these relationships. You know, um, if you're here today and you're a father or a husband, God has called you to a set of principles he wants you to live by. 
He's called you to purity. He's called you to patience. He's called you to a personal walk with Him. And God wants to know, Dad, God wants to know, Husband, are you going to persevere and do it the right way? Hey, listen, you're going to fall sometimes. You're going to mess up sometimes. You're going to sin sometimes. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs that a just man falleth seven times, but what does he do? He riseth up again. You know what the Bible says in that same verse? The wicked fall into mischief. You know the difference is between a just man and a wicked man? They both fail. One gets up, one stays down. One perseveres, the other one just lays flat in their sin and wallers in it. God has called you to be a dad, a husband. Maybe you're here this morning. God has called you to be a mother or a wife. Some of you here today, you've been called to be an employee or an employer. Others of you here today, a son or a daughter. God has called you to a relationship, and He wants you to do it with your whole heart in a way that pleases Him. Oh, at times our relationships are difficult. At times we want to walk away. At times we want to give up. At times we don't want to fulfill our role. And society is filled today with absentee fathers and husbands that are less than pure toward their wives. Uh, the world is filled today with, uh, with, with derelict mothers who don't actually do their duty of taking care of their children in the home. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, marriages that are split and splintered. And listen, if you're here today, and those are, uh, those are the circumstances that you have. I'm not here to throw stones at you, but I am here today to say this. You take where you are and you decide that beginning today, I'm going to be pure in my heart toward the Lord and others. I'm going to be patient with those around me and I am going to walk with God. A perseverance in our relationships, let her be. Notice his reputation. Have you ever stopped to consider how Joseph's reputation very well may have been attacked? Here Mary is pregnant, and they're in that 12-month betrothal period where he hasn't gone and gotten her. That baby bump begins to show. Can you imagine the talk at the town waterhole? Where they'd go and every morning and put their vase down and get water. I, can you imagine the, the lady, the ladies at the water hole and the gossip that must have been started? I don't know. Mary's looking a little, you know, um, large around the waist. And, um, I don't think that's from eating too much pizza. You know, I, I think Mary may have, uh, you know, gotten pregnant out of wedlock. Can you see the guys that around the water cooler at work? Yeah, and Joseph acts like one of those holy rollers, but I wonder if that baby in her belly isn't his, if, if he just couldn't be temperate and wait. I wonder if Mary's been running around behind Joseph's back. Here his reputation was at stake, but he knew in here that his character was right. And he said, I don't care what other people say about me. It doesn't matter what other people think about me. I will do what's right. Can I tell you something? If God wants you to come to White Oak Baptist Church, who cares what anybody else thinks? You just come and persevere. You say, well, I'm going to be made fun of at the family reunion, or I don't like the way such and such looked at me or talked to me. Listen, you do what's right. Some of you are students in a public uh, uh, setting, whether that's high school or college, and people want to make fun of you or belittle you because you're a Christian. They want to call good evil and evil good, and, and they want you to maybe hide the fact that you're a Christian, and your reputation in those circles goes down when you uh, label yourself as a Christian. Will you follow Joseph's lead and say, 
I'm going to do what God has called me to do because it's right. Hey, listen, you do what's right and you leave the results up to the Lord. You just do what's right. I like what Bob Jones Sr. said. He's the founder of Bob Jones University and a great preacher of yesteryear. He said, just do right till the stars fall. Do right to the last call. Do right, do right, do right, do right. He persevered. He didn't care about his reputation. Let her see. Notice lastly, his residence. Now here's where I really want to hone in here. We'll finish the sermon with this. Doing right for Joseph was inconvenient. Sometimes doing right is inconvenient. But he persevered. Look at Luke chapter 2 with me. Hold your place in Matthew. I'm going to only have you in Luke 2 for a moment here. Come back, uh, come back next week, or rather, come back Tuesday evening, and we'll look at the Christmas story in Luke 2. Our deacons will read it for you, and then um, we'll, uh, we'll bring a message from Luke 2. But let's look at the first four verses and notice how Joseph was, was jostled around here. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed. Everyone's favorite, uh, uh, everyone's favorite, right? Taxes? Everyone unto his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. I imagine that Joseph is at home. And uh, he, the day of his marriage is approaching. Maybe even that 12 months is up and he's gone in and married uh, Mary, but still not been with her intimately because she is now pregnant. And he's got his new wife. He's got at the least his betrothed wife. And uh, the man comes up and says, hey, guess what, everybody? You got to go on a trip and pay taxes. All right. It's bad enough paying taxes, much less if you had to go on a trip and spend money to stay in a hotel and at restaurants. And some of you like to travel, so you'd like that. But not to pay taxes. You say, okay, well, you know, it's a three-day trip from Galilee, Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, maybe four or five with a pregnant woman because she has to stop and go to the bathroom every 20 minutes. You all awake? How many had to travel with a pregnant woman? You know, it's like to have to stop every 20 minutes, right? Some of you checked out. That joke went totally over your head. They get to Bethlehem, and he thinks, I'll pay my taxes and I'll go home. Oh, no, 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 no. Go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 13. And when they were departed, Matthew 2, 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and... Be thou there until I bring thee word for Herod, will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. We don't know how long that was. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Okay, I went to, to, to Bethlehem and I paid my taxes and now I get to go home. This home I've built, I'm a carpenter, I've built and prepared a place for me and my new wife and this monkey wrench of my wife being the, the, the virgin mother of baby Jesus has gotten in the way and, and, and now I get to go home and just be a normal married man. Oh no, 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 no. You get to leave Bethlehem and you get to go live in another country for a little while. 
Look at verse 19. But when Herod was dead, Matthew 2, 19, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He turned aside into the part of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. Are you seeing how difficult it was for Joseph here? He left Nazareth. He went to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, he's there until the child is old enough where he can go home. And then, uh, and then before, right before he gets ready to go home, he is sent to go live in Egypt. And he, now he has to live in another country with a different culture. And, and he has to make that work. And now God comes to him and says, okay, go back to Israel. And he tries to go back to Jerusalem. And uh, uh, he's afraid for the young child's life. So back to Nazareth they go. Boy, they're being tra- taken all over the globe in order to be obedient to the Lord. I don't know today how the Lord is going to challenge you. It may not be geographically. It may be relationally. But I know this. A man of God with Christian character perseveres. A, man of, a woman of God with Christian character, she perseveres. Lord, it doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what my family says. It doesn't matter what my flesh says. It matters what your word says. I will do what's right. I will persevere. We look at the life of Joseph and we see Christian maturity. We see a man who is pure in his relationship with his girlfriend. We see a man who is patient. We see a man who had a personal walk with God. We see a man that no matter how tough it got, he persevered. Oh no, Joseph wasn't perfect. Oh no, Joseph struggled with sin the same way we do. Oh yes, Joseph needed to believe in Jesus to be saved just like we do. But boy, Joseph was a fine example of a Christian that you and I can take notes from. Let's have our heads bowed nice closed this morning. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to heaven because of my good works or any denominational title. I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ is my Savior. I have put my full faith in trust. I have climbed in the wheelbarrow and allowed Him to transport me in through the gates of heaven. Pastor Lejeune, I am going to heaven because Jesus is my Savior. If that's your testimony, would you just hold up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. You can put your hands down. Not not everyone raised their hand. And if you didn't raise your hand, I appreciate your honesty. Can I ask you a question today? If you didn't raise your hand. Jesus Christ is offering you the greatest gift anyone could get at Christmas time. It's not some new tech. It's not some new clothing. It's not some toy. It's not some car or home. It's a, a home in heaven. It's the gift of eternal life. It's having your sins forgiven. It's knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I've not put my faith and trust in Jesus, or I'm not sure if I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand where you are? I see one hand. 
Is there another? I see a couple of more hands. Anyone else? I just don't know that I'm going to heaven. My friend, if you raise your hand, I would just like to encourage you to follow the very simple the, the, the very simple plan that God has laid out in His Word. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. No, you don't believe with your head, you believe with your heart. You put your faith in Jesus. Right where you are, right now in the pew, would you just bow your head and tell the Lord that you're a sinner? And ask Him to take away your sin? Tell Him you believe in Him and Him alone? And ask Him to give you that gift of eternal life? How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, something from Joseph's life has challenged me. My purity, my patience, maybe my walk with God is struggling. Maybe my ability to persevere and do what's right. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me that I'll follow the examples laid out in Scripture and be a mature Christian for the Lord? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, please pray for me. Something that the Lord laid in my heart today. Lord, would you help us during our time of invitation to be pure, to commit to purity, to commit to a patience, and to commit to a walk with God, and to do so in a way that perseveres through the years. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.